Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I'm Dan Putt, one of the partners here at Reboot, and I could not be more excited about this conversation. We're here to showcase the heart and soul of authentic leadership, to inspire more open conversations around what we consider the most important part of entrepreneurship, the emotional struggle. And hopefully, we open up some hearts along the way. We are extremely grateful that you've taken the time to be with us and look forward to this journey ahead with you. Now, on with our conversation. CEO of a startup is really hard. It's lonely, there's long hours, there's constant demands, and there's no manual. This is why Jerry helped create the CEO Bootcamp. Join us February 25th through March 1st at our 2015 Winter CEO Bootcamp in Winter Park, Colorado. You'll connect with 20 other startup leaders and learn what it means to be a leader. For more information, Go to reboot.io slash bootcamps. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. And that quote comes from Jesus and the Gospel of Thomas. Do you have an innate desire to make people happy? And does that desire at times cause you to hold back the truth, perhaps out of fear of hurting others and even yourself? Carm Huntress is CEO of RX Review, a company solving a big problem with big data, overspending on prescription medication. The company started just in January 2012 and is already growing beyond its 11 employees. Carm realizes his nature as a people pleaser affects his leadership in detrimental ways. In the episode, Jerry and Carm unpack what it means to be fierce and what's behind the desire to make people happy. It's a conversation that will leave you asking, what if I led from a place where I knew I was good and yet there were also things I want to do better? Enjoy the conversation. Hey, Carm, how are you? I'm good, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really good. Hey, listen, before we get started, why don't you tell me a little bit more about uh, the company? What's the company name? What do you do? No pitching now, though. No pitching. I will, <laughs> I will do my best not to pitch. I know. It's, it's an impossible thing. It's an impossible thing. Um, so, uh, again, I'm Carm Hunters. I'm the CEO of Oryx Review. Um, we uh, are a company that's about 18, uh, 20 months old now. And we're solving one of the biggest problems in healthcare, uh, which is is all the the waste in prescription drugs. And U.S. overspends by about 150 billion dollars on prescription drugs because there's no transparency, and patients can't understand their options, and physicians don't really know what's best to prescribe. And uh, we're a big data company that's solving that problem. And so we've curated millions of clinical articles. Uh, around the efficacy of different medications, we have uh, twelve different cost-saving solutions that we can apply, and a lot of personalized factors. Whether it would be your age, gender, weight, ethnicity, 
Um, even your genetics matter to us. And so we've built an algorithm, if you want to call it that, but we call it prescription optimization. Mm-hmm. So we can help patients and providers um, find the most effective drug at the lowest possible cost and do it at the point of care or uh, a patient uh, can do it uh, through a web or, or, or through their mobile phone. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what we do. Good. Good. And I'm the, I'm the CEO and one of the founders. And how old is the company? We started in January of last year, mm-hmm. so um, uh, we've we've almost gotten to the two year mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's been a real uh, blast. I've never been in a company that's grown so dramatically in in uh, such a short period of time. We actually closed our initial funding in March of this year, and I was sitting in a in a co work space by myself in a cube. Mm-hmm. Now I have a suite with eleven people in it. Oh, yeah. it sounds like you're killing it. We are. I mean, we're, we're, That's we're, a joke. I have to, I have to tease you. That's a bit of a joke. I, yeah. I play with clients because it, it oftentimes it's like, yeah, how are you doing? Oh, we're killing it. We're killing it. We're killing it. And it's not really a great choice of words, frankly. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, we're having a lot of fun. How about I put it that way? We are, we are, um, you know, we've been lucky in that we've assembled a really fantastic team of people to do this. And, you know, we were, I think unique and lucky because we're going out to solve this huge problem in the midst of healthcare, going through this huge remake sure. and uh, we're doing good. Um, good, which is, which, which often is something you don't get to say about your startup. Yeah. Um, you know, if, uh, it's sometimes hard to justify that doing good piece and, and we feel like we're doing that. So that's, um, that's incredibly gratifying. That's great. So, so, so tell me, what, what made you feel like uh, you'd want to reach out and, and have a conversation? So many things. I mean, I think, I think there's this underlying thing that has come, you know, I'm, I'm very thematic or I think thematically mm-hmm. uh, around my work and life. And, you know, there's a, there's a story I'd, I'd love to share at some point, but there's, a, there's something about living in the truth that in everything I do, um, keeps coming back to that (laughs) and, and really living what I would call a conscious life. Mm -hmm. And it's something that since right before I started RX review, I came to some conclusions about myself, you know, I'm I'm 34 now and, uh, back in, in 2012, right, right before, uh, we moved to Denver, Colorado and we started, I started RX review I actually went on a trip with my wife. We traveled for six months around the world. Mm. And we did one of those things where I shut everything off and we grabbed backpacks and we disappeared. Oh, wow. And uh, we went to 13 different countries and we just headed west and we, we didn't stop for, for six months. And um, it was really amazing at once in a lifetime experience. You know, we didn't have, we didn't have kids and, and we were, it was a great, great, fantastic time. But it, it, it was this huge uh, time of self-reflection for me. Mm. And I came to a couple places where uh, the first thing I asked myself is I said, man, I have worked really hard for the last decade and I really don't feel successful. Mm. Uh, you know, both in, in sort of monetarily as well as just in general. And I'm like, why have I worked so hard? And I've been this entrepreneur and I've been in a bunch of startups and I've raised capital and I don't feel successful. I feel like a failure. Mm -hmm. 
And I started to ask why, you know, why? And uh, during that six months, I read two really important books. One's called The Business of Happiness. And the other one was Talent is Overrated. Mm-hmm. Do you know those books? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And, you know, what came back was that I, I read those books and I realized a couple of things. I think the first is that, you know, the book Talent Overrated is all about that the top performers in the world um, really work on their weaknesses. And they, they know their weaknesses and they know what they're doing wrong and they constantly try to improve upon them and, and stretch. And, um, you know, the business of happiness is really about, you know, finding about what you really want. And I realized I hadn't worked on either of those things for almost a decade. And so, um, I really made a commitment to myself that as I came off this huge trip and, I wanted, I really sat down and thought about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And it became a conscious exercise, but I realized that, you know, it's all about finding that truth and how to be better within that truth. Um, and, and I read one of your blog posts and I love this is what is, what is being said that's not being said and what am I hearing that I'm I'm not listening to? Yeah. Um, and man, when you're running a startup, that's, that's about the most important thing. Um, so I don't know. That's an area that I really want to dive into and I, I want to get better at. Better uh, at, at uh, the being fierce. That, that, that quote uh, comes from the blog post, uh, mm-hmm. being fierce. And, and it's, uh, it's, the, it's, it's what I refer to, the, to the capacity to, to really be fully authentic, fully present, uh, as manifested in both speaking clearly and authentically and from your from your truest point and hearing and listening from that same space yeah and and uh, to you do you find this is is one of the uh, i mean in terms of being good leaders and and you know building great companies would you say this is a defining quality uh, yes, I would say it's a defining, the, the, the capacity to be fierce is a defining quality. And, and again, I, you know, the tagline I often play with is to be fierce, not ferocious, right? It's not about aggression. It's about presence. It's about authenticity. The, the quality of being fierce, I think is essential in good leadership um, uh, partially because it calms the whole organizational system down. Um, for example, when we're fierce with the truth, we give our employees and our colleagues the opportunity and the space for themselves to be fierce with the truth. So a good example of that is the truth is we're not going to hit the product deadline. We all know it. But too often we participate in a kind of collective delusion and pretend that we will. And what it kind of does over time is not only does it undermine a sense of safety and security on the individual basis, but it also uh, destroys trust. So to answer your question more briefly, yes, it's a defining characteristic of leadership and conversely, the avoidance of difficult conversation, the avoidance of dealing with reality, or what I often refer to as a delusion, 
because these are twinned uh, phenomena, is the defining are defining characteristics of poor leadership mm-hmm. or typical leadership. Yeah. And and it typically is rooted in the fear associated in actually saying what needs to be said or hearing what is being said or ensuring that what you are saying is in fact heard and taken in. Yeah. And and why do you think why do you think it's so hard? You know, why um, I have some theories about myself and why I think it's hard, but w- w- why do you think people get stuck in, in it? W- why isn't it something that just naturally happens? Is it, is it the human condition that gets in the way or, or what's your viewpoint on that? I think that, um, so from a Buddhist perspective, we are all born basically good. We were all born what, with what, the Buddha taught was Buddha nature, which is our essential goodness as a human being. And that over time, that gets obscured. And our understanding that we are fundamentally lovable gets obscured and becomes more and more disconnected from that. And it may be because of the situations in which we grow up in, our family of origin challenges, um, you know, our society challenges, you know, growing up in war, growing up in poverty make access to that incredibly difficult because the access to that fundamental truth that we are fundamentally good is difficult. What then sets in as part of the human condition is another phenomena, which is that we doubt whether or not we're lovable. And the corollary to that, or the way that that doubt often manifests is that we are afraid that if I say something to you, you will either get aggressive with me, you'll get violent with me, or some in some way you'll feel angry towards me and I will end up being unloved, yeah. abandoned, hurt. And we do a little bit of a mind trick on ourselves because what we tell ourselves is that I'm protecting you from the truth. When really what we're doing is we're protecting ourselves from the possible negative reaction that you might have. Mm-hmm. Right. And the antidote to that is to lean into it. Now, so for me, I think it's rooted in, you know, this sort of, I often joke, jokingly quote Yoda, who said, uh, two emotions there are, love and fear. And it's our pursuit of love that causes us to be afraid, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Or our fear that we won't have love that drives so much of our behavior. So that's my theory, but I'm, you know, let's coach. Okay. <laughs> Rather than me teaching, because let me tell you, my ego loves, you know, when I get asked to, to just talk like that, what is it for you? What stops you? From saying what's true. Well, I I think it's it's a, it's more than one thing. Um, I think one of the things that serves me very well, and that I picked it up as a skill, but it's also a deficit in some respects, is that I like to make people happy. Mm-hmm. I have this innate desire to. Uh, I'm very empathetic. 
And I, I can use it as a thing to help me um, because it helps me find out what people want and what people need and support them. And I'm a big believer in service leadership or servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, a, you know, being, you know, I can, I can, I can use that as a skill, but in the same sense, it's a, it's a deficit. And I think there's also this part of me that really tells a story too much. Instead of just saying the truth, right? You get in this place where you start telling yourself stories and you start saying, you know, well, if I say that, you know, this person's going to say this. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I have never been right. The story, the narrative that always plays out in my head is always wrong. And I think, you know, to your point, uh, my, my sensation is that, that that's where I get most stuck in, in, in being able to, to say that truth to somebody in that I ultimately fear that I'm letting them down mm-hmm. and not making them happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, there's, there's some truth in that, in that, you know, even for myself, I, I, it's more a fear of them telling me that, that I've made them unhappy mm-hmm. and that's hard. That's really hard. Notice, notice, Karm, the two sides of that. There's the altruistic side, right? The, the wish to truly make somebody happy. And then there's the fear-based, almost neurotic side of it. And both are there behind that empathy, behind that wish to please. Yeah. But, but why... So, so when you look at those two things, mm-hmm. is... Is it in part sort of saying, well, I can't make this person happy. That's not my job. Or, you know, is it saying, well, I just need to love myself (laughs) and it's going to be okay. And I just need to say the truth and and let it be. And, and, you know, I'm okay. If you were in touch with your fundamental goodness, if you could truly feel that you were worthy of love or worthy regardless of what you did, pleasing people or not pleasing people, hurting people, not hurting people. If you were able to be in touch with that fundamental sense of self, what would be the answer to your own question? I, 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 the, the sensation I get is that I just have to have the, the word that came to mind was actually faith. Ah, God bless you. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't know how to expand on that, but that's the word that, I, that, that, that resonated with me when you, you, you asked the question. Yeah. See, I love the fact that you said the sensation and then the word, see the sensation implies it was in your body, not in your mind. Which is a kind of interesting place where thoughts, <laughs> right? Right. And the word implies the feeling, a kind of intuitive knowing, not a story. Right? Stories tend to have lots of sentences. Yep. But when the neon lights flick on, 
and you see that word or feel that word in your body, to me, I think you touch into truth. The, the word feels true when I say it. Yeah. Even though I don't quite understand it. Yes. <laughs> Which is just about the weirdest uh, sensation ever. Amen. But. Yes. Yeah. So tell me more. What? Oh, that's uh, a good coaching. That's a good question. Good coaching question. <laughs> that's a nice coaching prompt. I like that. Tell me more. So when we experience something that feels bodily true, without a lot of explanation about it. To my mind, it means that we've gotten past the interpreter of our experience, also known as our mind. Mm -hmm. Right? The interpreter, the translator of all of the world, which happens to be our mind, and us, whatever us is. This, this meat bag known <laughs> as Jerry or Calm, right? Right. When we get in, when, when we remove the, the mediator, right, and we have a direct experience, it tends not to come with a lot of mythology, a lot of myth-making. What's interesting to me is that the myth-making tends to occur after the fact. Right, We have an experience, it's so uncomfortable that we can't explain it, so then we create a story around it. Yeah. Right. I, 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 I'm, I'm recalling a, um, a moment for myself when I was sitting in meditation one morning, and I was overwhelmed with a sense of anxiety. And it was curious because there was literally nothing happening to produce that feeling. I was just anxious. And fortunately... The voice of Pema Chodron, Ani Pema, the Buddhist nun, popped into my head, and I heard a saying to me as if I was a dog. Sit, stay. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, and I it stayed is. with it. And then I asked myself, what does it that anxiety smell like? Which is just a bizarre question, because what I was trying to do was stop my mind from creating a story, because I could feel my mind doing this. Oh, I'm anxious. Oh, what should I be anxious about? Oh, my children. Let me think about them. And the train would be, and I stopped it in that moment. And for the briefest of moments, I realized that the feeling oftentimes precedes the myth or the story, mm -hmm. which means I should not trust those thoughts. <laughs> Well, it's, it's that rationalization that we all try to do. Exactly. And we it's post-facto rationalization. Yeah. Right? I got this, and then all of a sudden this is happening to me. But, but is it then the, the purpose to leave it and just feel it or, or learn from it and what understand just happened it? With you? What just happened with you? What feeling do you have when you say, but, but is the purpose? What's the feeling? Why do you want to know? All right. I don't know to be better. 
what makes you think you're not good enough now? See how quick nanosecond-like it is? Here we are in this moment feeling, laughing, joking about the felt sense, and immediately the mind jumps in and says, but, but, is the purpose... And then I call your attention to the feeling behind the question without even answering the question. Because if I answer the question, Carm, I'm going to strengthen the story. Yeah. Even if I denied it, even if I told you something negative. No, that's not it. What I would do is continue to reinforce the story making, which is actually an attempt to get away from the feeling. The feeling is I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to improve. From what state are you trying to improve? From what place are you trying to be better? What if you led, what if you led to go back to being CEO of this company? What if you led not from a place of continually trying to improve yourself, but led from a place where you knew that you were good and you also knew that there were things that you wanted to do better. It's a powerful place. I wonder how the employees would react if you led from a place of faith. Faith was a powerful word, my friend, because what faith implies is knowing without knowing. Right? Knowing despite the lack of evidence. That's what faith means. Believing despite the lack of evidence. What if you led from a place of faith in yourself and the purpose and the mission without having the conceptual evidence that you're right or good enough? (laughs) My... So the thing I feel Mm. is that, wow, that's really hard. Mm -hmm. That's really, really hard Mm. because it's, it's letting go of all that rationalization Mm. and trying to letting go of the fear that you use the rationalization to push away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's coming from that place is, it feels enlightened to me. Ah. But it's, <laughs> um, you know, you're, 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 I don't want to say you're messing with me, Jerry, but <laughs> you're messing with me. Uh, <laughs> wow. But, but it's this, you know, what I come back to is how hard, you know, how challenging is this as a leader where, we have to make a thousand decisions a day. We have to have a dozen different conversations. And to go into those conversations and those moments of such truth and a, a place of faith is it's inspiring. I'll give you that. But I find it hard. Yeah, because you want to, you know, it's kind of reconciling sort of the 
the, the pieces of me that say, well, we need to make sense of these things and we need to rationalize these things and we need to understand the data behind these things mm-hmm. and, and to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, maybe you're not necessarily talking about that specifically. Maybe you are, or maybe it's more about the way in which I lead and the way in which I talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I, I, what resonates with me is that idea of space. Yes. Um, because I think when you come from this place of faith and you share that with the team, um, it gives them room. Amen, brother. And instead of speaking in half truths or, or, um, a, a phrase that I, I read recently that I just loved was consciously incompetent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, I think organizations do that. Mm-hmm. They, they know you said that earlier, right? You know, and I think coming from that place of faith um, allows for that space to be, you know, conscious, mm-hmm. right? And the organization to be conscious mm-hmm. and aware, and and gives it gives it its own room to speak in its own truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, imagine what it would be like to be an employee where leaders gave them space to be consciously. Conscious of their incompetence mm-hmm. and it being okay. Mm-hmm. This notion of work as a, as a journey towards fulfillment of you as a human being instead of work as a means for a paycheck yeah. comes to mind. If we could lead from a place from faith, then we can create organizations where human beings not only get to show up, but get to grow. So, so how do you, if you come from a place of faith, how do you, is it, is it, is it only about the way you're communicating and acting or is it really about the way you're making decisions? Say more. Uh, What I mean is that, that there's, there's the, the faith that you talk about. I see very clearly in, in the interactions I can have with my team in the company and from a larger perspective, because I believe that, that there is something about it being more than a paycheck. And I believe that work should really be that, um, is that, you know, you're all coming together to serve a, a common goal and purpose and mission and to do it consciously and giving everybody room to fail and learn and grow is the, you know, is, is fantastic. Is exactly what you want. Want is is, is exactly what you want to create. Mm. But then there's this faith in decision making, mm-hmm. and the faith in boy, am I guiding the company in the right direction? Am I, you know, <laughs> we we've got to go this way or that way, and which is the right way? And often those decisions are driven by data, mm-hmm. um, are driven by very rationalized thinking. Mm-hmm. And so my question really revolves around. Do you come at those decisions with faith? Are they are they just as you know powerful in terms of there is in each decision made there's a truth that you're just living into, and I don't know I'm I'm trying to trying to reconcile that. Well, I think that um, you know how before I sort of interrupted you when you said but but is the purpose. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that some decisions or, or decisions are often come to based on analyzing data. And I think that yep. that's a very important and useful tool. But I think we do an injustice to ourselves and to the reality of the situation when we pretend that we're making those decisions only based on data and not based on felt senses or perhaps a wish to push away a fear or an intuition. And when you allow yourself to come to a decision based on faith, it occurs to me that perhaps then you get to integrate both the intellectual, let me look at the data, and the felt sense, the inner and the outer, if you will. Mm-hmm. What if having faith in yourself and your team's ability meant being able to trust as you do data and the sources of data? Because as we all know, data can be wrong, right? Or data can be uh, misinterpreted. And yet we seem to imply when we're using it that it can't be. What if we apply that same faith that we have in that to the, to, the, to the other senses that are available to us as we make decisions? Aesthetic. Yeah. Um, uh, beauty. Love. Love of product. Craft. You know, these other felt senses. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> it would be incredible. It, it, it's, it's a really... It, 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 you know, the, the resonance of that is very high mm-hmm. when I hear you say that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's okay to note that it's hard. It, it's, it's hard. And, and all, you know, example that, that comes to mind is I recently had to fire somebody mm-hmm. and firing for me is like the worst. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's terrible for a lot of people, but it's terrible for me because it's like going against, you know, I, I'm this people pleaser and I like to make people happy. And, <laughs> you know, having that level of discussion of like, look, we've got to let you go mm. is, is one of the hardest things I've had to do and, 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 and develop. And, you know, I will tell you, I was sitting with the decision of doing it for a few weeks mm. and I could feel myself, you know, trying to rationalize my way out of doing it. I don't want to do this. You know, it, it, it's kind of working. It's in one of those gray areas where it's, kind of working, but kind of not working. And I kept going back and forth, but I will tell you, I had this moment where I kind of took a deep breath and I went, this is the right decision. Yeah. And when I said it, you know, it was like, that was the truth. Yeah. And it was, and I could feel it was a body thing. It wasn't a mind thing. Yeah. And, and so and, and guess what? I did it and it was hard as hell. Um, and it was tough because the person was great and they, they were so understanding and yeah. uh, all those things. And, but, you know, I hung up the phone um, after it happened and I realized that it just, it, it was like, whoo, yeah. like everything kind of settled down. I went, whoa, I know that was right. And, you know, there's a big part of me. That I want to find more of that. 
Yeah. Well, that, I, it's funny that you say that because the wish I just had was that you would have that as your dominant leadership motif. Now, Karim, I, I apologize, but we need to actually wrap this now. Um, was this helpful for you? Oh, my gosh, Jerry. This is fantastic. Mm. I mean, I, I think the ideas of you know both being analytical and data-driven are great. Mm-hmm. But the idea of allowing faith mm. and truth into both the way our company communicates and um, and grows uh, as a team and, and otherwise is incredibly powerful. So I thank you very much. Uh, it's my pleasure. And thank you for your questions. They not only please my wish to be a teacher, but they also... Uh, provoked me to think about new things in ways that I haven't thought before. So I'm really grateful for you doing this. So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode from links to books, to quotes, to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together. Call on.